to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We're going to be um, looking at chapter um, 2 um, in Philippians again. And um, it's going to be a, a, a picture, that uh, an area of Scripture that sometimes uh, people have had some confusion on. Um, and so uh, as we get into it, um, we, we're going to spend a little bit of time just looking at that. Would somebody hit those lights back there? Um, just a little bit of time uh, looking at an area that sometimes has been confusing or misleading. Um, um, I don't think purposeful at all. It's, it's just an interpretation issue on that, that idea of work out your salvation um, with fear and trembling. Uh, again, my mom to her dying day, she, she would say, you know, that you can be secure in your salvation, but then she'd go, she would say, well, you know, but I've been taught. So maybe she's just saying, no, maybe it's both. Well, I don't want, maybe it's both. You know, I, I need to know what God's truth is on that. And so, um, um, a, a paradox is what we're going to see here. And so a paradox happens several times in scripture and we'll, we'll see that pretty clearly. Um, but we're going to go over this idea of a paradox first also, um, so a paradox is two different statements or beliefs that claim to be simultaneously true. So two different statements or ideas that claim to be simultaneously true, but when you look at it, you go, those can't be true at the same time. Um, so you, you know about paradoxes. Um, they would seem to be contradictory. Um, these appear uh, to be contradictory on the surface, but under a full examination or maybe a little bit deeper understanding and explanation of the context, they do actually coexist. And, and in that, because they seem like that they can't simultaneously exist, um, when you then put together all the groundwork between the two, it usually brings a fuller, more beautiful understanding, um, and, and especially in scriptural type things. Um, so here's some examples of a logical paradox. Um, so if you've taken some psychology classes, you probably remember those. Um, but even just the simple ones of less is more. You've probably seen that in your own life sometimes where less is, is more. Or um, gaining by losing, um, that idea. So that seems impossible, but in some cases, um, it, it, it comes out true. Less is more or gaining by losing. The more digital connections we get the more isolated we become. When, when they called this the age of communication, right? Um, they thought, oh man, we're gonna be so much, so much more connected. And then like communication just boomed and, and exponentially. And yet what do people say now? Lonelier than ever. So that's just kind of weird, but it, it's true. Same time. Uh, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you actually know. So remember Socrates was one of the one, the famous ones who had posited that. Uh, the, the more that you learn, the actually more that you find out you don't know very much, right? Um, the more Bigfoot sightings and evidence that we discover, the less we know about him, right? So those are paradoxes. Um, both true, but they seem like maybe they couldn't be. Um, the interesting thing about those paradoxes is that the greater understanding that we discover in that truth um, we find out it's a much more beautiful picture. And so um, here are some biblical paradoxes. You'll, you'll see these, and you'll, you've probably had questions about these, but we've discussed these here at Sojourn a few times. So the first one is, the kingdom of God is here now among us. Right? Remember Jesus? The kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully here because the kingdom of God is fully in heaven. So it, it's true in both of those situations. The kingdom is God. The kingdom of God is here, but not yet fully. It's going to be a completely different experience when we're in heaven, right? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is in us, right? But also at the same time, there's indwelling sin in us. That's a, that's a huge mystery for most of us. Because you read all the scripture talking about you are filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in you. Uh, he's given the Spirit as a guarantee. So you have this Holy Spirit working inside you. And if you, you know, did the, I asked Jesus into my heart, that, that type of language even, um, Jesus is in there, but man, there's sure a lot of sin in there also. So I don't know if Jesus got a little apartment or something, but there, there's just, there's sin inside my heart and the Holy Spirit. So that, that's a, that, that's true. Both of those things. Um, 
Salvation comes down to God's sovereignty, right? The salvation comes down to man's will. Well, that might tick both sides off. Both people are like, uh, how, how does that one work out? Again, it's a great mystery, but context, full understanding brings up something beautiful in that. Um, biblically stated, there's no one righteous, not even one. But biblically stated, you are righteous. We, we struggle with that one, don't we? Now, Tulsa, the town of Tulsa, well, they love the back end of that one. Like, you are righteous, hashtag bless and all that. And we're in, some, some of us come from like more like, no, we're, we're, not. we're not. We're not just completely righteous. And so a, a fuller understanding, what does that mean? Well, it, it all goes back to Christ. Um, Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. And again, thousands of people died on that fight right there um, early on. And so uh, Ignatius is the one who settled that, saying, no, he is fully God and fully man. And the Apostles' Creed, remember, uh, they went back to the Greek words there and said, no, he is completely fully God and fully man. And we, didn't, we needed to know that as a doctrinal statement. So those are examples of paradoxes. In today's section, chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, here, here's the two paradoxes that come up. You... It's emphasized, you, you work out your salvation. So, man, that seems to insist that salvation is dependent upon you, your working, you working. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then, right after that, it says, it is God who works in you. So, oh, that insists that salvation is dependent upon God working in you. And so, um, many of us struggle with that. In fact, a couple of weeks ago in group, we were talking about that, about if we understand God's sovereignty, it may lead us to the idea that, well, I mean, God's going to do what he's going to do. I mean, I can pray and I can try to do some things, but the reality is he's going to do what he's going to do. And so if we're not careful, that can lead to a heart that's kind of apathetic and uninvolved and sometimes even just not obedient because it's like, I don't need to really go do that much because he's going to do what he's going to do anyway. And so um, we, we struggle with that. And someone brought that out. I was like, man, that's exactly things when you're in dealing with people's lives and you're going to meet with people and seeing things going on. It, that, that's exactly what I struggle with many times. Like, what well, you're going to do what you're going to do. Um, so that's hard. That's a paradox there. And so what I hope and pray we learn today is uh, from Philippians that God's working in us to sanctify us and we're, we're cooperating in faithful, worshipful obedience through the enabling of his spirit. Um, and our own will. So don't have a problem with that. So if you go, oh, nothing's about man's free will. No, there's a lot about man's free will. That's your choices. God did not create robots. So you have to understand that. So the, the three things that we're going to look at today is the mystery of paradox and sanctification. So what we just talked about, those, those paradoxes <clears throat> and sanctification. We're going to talk about that word in a second. But then the second thing is lights in a dark and dangerous world. Paul tells us that you are light in a, in a dangerous world, the dark world. And then also we're going to see, just make a, 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 a notice of Paul's sacrificial joy as we're getting into this last part of chapter 2. He goes into a lot of personal uh, talk with, uh, about um, Epaphroditus, not Epaphroditus, uh, um, Timothy, and then also, uh, I'm going blank on the guy's name, um, that, that, that delivered the, la- the letter. And so he's saying here, um, This brings me great sacrificial joy, and you should also have great sacrificial joy. And so uh, we'll see that at the end of the letter. So let's read chapter 2 of Philippians, um, going 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So, Father, we thank you that we get to rejoice and be glad that Paul was poured out as a drink offering. His sacrifice was not the sacrifice that saves, but his sacrifice is an example for us, Lord, um, for um, the Philippians' faith, for our faith. But we worship Christ because he delivered us the salvation that Paul's proclaiming here.
And so we pray that you would give us insight into these matters today um, in our own hearts, and we pray that you'd help us to understand areas we need growth in, areas we need to be pushed and challenged in, and areas we need to be convicted in. And so we, we ask for you to do that work in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. So um, as we look at this first section, immediately we notice Paul's wording there where he talks about obedience um, as you've always obeyed, which he, he's just affirming to them, you've done a good job, uh, but continue, even in my absence, whether I'm there or whether I'm not, um, continue to obey. So we're talking about obedience, and then he goes on to talk about this idea of work out your salvation. Now that would make a lot of people think, oh, I better get busy. I better get busy doing more, doing more, doing more, or doing better, doing better, doing better, doing better. So this brings up the mystery of paradox and sanctification, because what I'd said earlier was, was that idea of there's that part of you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but also it's God who's working in you. So there's that paradox, those two things. They're simultaneously true. The more we understand them together in God's wisdom and genius, it becomes more beautiful about God, and it, more, it becomes more beautiful about what we can see God doing through us. So um, we see man's role in sanctification and God's role. Now, sanctification is a big word. A lot of people have trouble with that. Um, but I would ask you to think through this. This can actually be, um, I've been reading a lot about you know, where, where we're at as a country and just uh, where American evangelical faith is. And so a lot of people have some baggage from the church or they have a little bit of jacked up knowledge about the church in the past. So you could throw something out. This would be a great, uh, this is just a side note. The word sanctification, you could throw that out to co-workers. Uh, many of you tell me stories about, you know, at work or uh, with, with the people that I'm uh, surrounded by, I'll just bring some things out. Uh, how could you use sanctification as a starting point in a conversation with someone? Uh, so for example, um, to get into a conversation about their, their own beliefs or what they believe about God or what they believe about the gospel, what, about, what they believe about sin, what they believe about salvation, uh, you, man, something simple like, hey, man, uh, we're... Uh, man, have you ever thought about this? We can't save ourselves, and we have all these flaws and failures, but man, I was just kind of learning about this idea of sanctification. Um, do you ever think about sanctification? Like, what part's our part and what part's God's part? That, that's something that most people would like take home and go like, even if they're like, oh, I don't know, that's stupid, shut up. Let's talk about something else. Did you see the Niners game? And so they may just skip over, but that's something to think through. So you could bring that up. And it's also good for you to think through because then it helps you to be able to communicate to that to others because you can go to, man, I, I look at my own sin and it says that, you know, work out your salvation, man. So what do you think about that? A lot of people may say the, the common teaching, a lot of places that, yeah, it's on how good I do. It's on how, how, how good I am as a Christian. It's how good I'm living the Christian life. Um, the majority of people, I'll, I'll have every single week, four to five people say, well, uh, you know, the man upstairs, I'm just trying to do the best I can. Well, just think about that. There's this idea of this um, billowy, uh, bearded, floating, angel-like, Santa Claus-type God that he's just floating there watching us, and I'm over here doing the best I can. That, that's completely the antithesis of Christianity, right? And so, but yet, that's what a lot of people say. So, man, a great opportunity to use that as a place to jump in for talking about uh, and getting into conversation. So sanctification, it's a big word. It's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin. So let's think through this. We've got two different pictures here. It's a progressive work of God, and we're going to look at that, what that means by progressive uh, of God and man, cooperation with God and man. And if, if you're afraid of that and you're like, oh man, man has nothing to do, we'll, we'll make sure that you have a biblical understanding there because man does have a part in that. And it's about us being free from sin is one side and more and more like Christ in the other. So on one hand, I'm mortifying sin. We've talked about the mortification of sin, John Owen, um, that, that idea of killing sin. And so that's Romans 8, 13 there, um, that through the Spirit, you should be putting to death um, the deeds of the flesh, right? But through the Spirit. It, it, he didn't say, you can do this on your own, put to death, stop sinning. No, through the Spirit. So there's this idea of this cooperation through the Spirit and my will, I'm cooperating with the Spirit. So that's called the mortification, free from sin. At the same time, that's that word mortification, that's the, the negative side, putting to death sin, vivification is the fancy word for coming to new life. I'm growing and maturing. So that's called vivification. So sanctification is those two things happening together. The progressive, ongoing, continual process of growth towards Christ-likeness 
in our lives after becoming a Christian. So um, look at, I think I have a slide about justification and sanctification. Um, so first of all, justification on, on the left there, that is your legal standing pronounced by God himself. Uh, in his sight, it's every person at the end standing up, no moms and dads like it was their fault, you know, no coworkers, no, no wife or husband like it was their, it was their fault. Uh, can I just stand beside them? No, it's you. And, and are you going to be going into heaven or not? And so God at that point goes, you are pronounced righteous upon the time that you were saved. So you're pronounced righteous. Now, do you live completely in righteousness? No, because you have indwelling sin. But it's a one-time act where God, when you received Christ and Christ um, saved you in this lifetime, that's a one-time act. Sanctification, on the other hand, look on the other side, it's an inward condition where transformation is occurring, and then we, so it's an inwards thing that's going on. Sanctification, I'm growing, growing. You may not see it. I may be changing my attitudes, my thoughts. Um, I may be killing sin and killing temptation. It's an inward thing, and then begins to be seen in outward behaviors, right? So you can see that. Uh, so justification, then on the second thing there, it's, it, it occurs once in life. You, you're not saved two and three and four times. Justification, even if you're a person who says, like, hey, my, my testimony is like I got saved at six. I asked Jesus in my heart, walked down out, they baptized me. At nine, I'd done some horrible, horrible, you know, thievery and bank robbing and, uh, you know, horrible stuff and stolen some cars at nine. And so then I got saved again at nine or 10 and got baptized. And then at 14, I'd really done some bad stuff, got saved again. And then at 21, I got saved again. At one of those points or somewhere, there was a point where God granted you new life and salvation. If you're like, you're confused on that, he's not. Okay, be thankful that it's not based upon a date for you, that he's the one secured that. It's a one-time event, though. That's justification. He said, you are justified. So all Romans 8, 9, 10, all the beauty of that, that's what happened. And you're also not only forgiven, justified, you're also pronounced righteous at that point, right? Justified happens one time. Now, sanctification on the other side, it's an ongoing process. It's continuous throughout life. So you're going to be struggling with sin, uh, getting better at maybe killing sin, and getting better at walking in holiness and righteousness. Justification, the third thing there, it's entirely God's work. You had nothing to do with justification, being saved. Sanctification, it's man cooperating with God. Um, the fourth thing there is, is justification is a completed, finished work. It's already done. So even though you feel like your growth is not done, sanctification your justification was completely finished. Your Christ's blood on the cross, Christ's death on the cross was applied to you and stamped onto you. It's a finished work. No one can take that away. You can't lose it. Then on the other hand, on sanctification, it's never finished in this lifetime. You won't get to 72 and be like, oh man, finally I'm sin free. I never struggle with any sin anymore. At 85, at 95, sanctification goes on until either you die or Christ comes back and now our glorified imperishable bodies are granted us. That's when sanctification ends, right? And then the last one there, um, justification is the same for every single believer. It's what Christ did applied to you. It's the same in every single case, right? For sanctification, it's different degrees. So you have greater and less. So some people, uh, man, they, they've been a Christian for 35 years and they're still mean as a snake. They still have not let go of certain sin patterns. They're still... Um, uh, operating some of the same things, and, and they're saved, but they're still just not growing that much. You have other people who are growing in righteousness and godliness just incredibly uh, at, at a great degree very in two years' time, five years' time, and so it, it's different degrees. Paul bases all of that coming out of this, this idea of that Christ hymn that we looked at last week. So we, if you remember what we covered there, the implications of Christ's work on us. Um, so this section can be very confusing. So we have to understand justification and sanctification. Uh, so being saved and then you, you walking in the Spirit, walking and growing in Christ is what sanctification is, just growing in Christ. This section has been uh, people rip and pull sections uh, and verses out of this. So the next slide I think shows, I tried to put it on there where you could see what that looks like as far as the the way that it breaks down, this, people have looked at this section and gone, man, it seems like Paul gets a little schizophrenic here. 
He, he's talking about, um, hey, there's some disunity in the church, and so you guys should be unified in love and humble. So remember chapter two, the first two or three verses there? And then he goes into the Christ hymn, and it's like, what? Because everyone kind of agrees that, man, this is, this is a separate section. He's talking about Jesus now, and now he goes to you work out your salvation, and then he goes to the just, I mean, out of all the sins we could do, he just picks out grumbling and complaining. Like, is he just having a bad moment, you know, like schizophrenic? And so for Paul, all of this flows together. Um, so he's not jumping from topic to topic in an unrelated way. Um, and some people read it that way, but all of this connects together. So in those first sections there in 127 and 2, 2 through 4, remember when we started out saying, live a life worthy of the gospel. Here's how you do that, church, in Philippi. And he went into be united in love. Remember that unity in love. Um, humility, seeing people differently, uh, seeing people um, as more significant than you see yourselves, serving one another, um, meeting their needs instead of just worrying about your needs, right? That's how you do that. Man, our example for that, what we saw, and we moved to where he didn't just insert it for an example, was that, that picture of the Christ hymn. And remember 2, 6 through 11, his incarnation, crazy nuts. No other God comes and dies for sinful people. Every other religion, people have to be good enough to work their way to a God, to a deity. And this story says, this God humbled himself in human form. That, that's a crazy story. If for for those, those times and our times, no one would come up with that story. The incarnation, also the humiliation. And he died on a cross. He didn't just lower himself in human form. He died on a cross, the humiliation of that. And then God exalted him to his former status in his glory. And then all believers will worship him because of that. So those things. And so then he moves from that to now work out your salvation. And so if you've been around different denominations, we'll teach us. So if it's more leaning towards more of an assembly of God background, that uh, the, most of them would say that you can lose your salvation and then gain it back again, lose your salvation, gain it back again. One time is, is Jamie, it was the last summer before we got married. We got married in August and she was gone that summer. I think she's trying to find somebody else, just last minute, you know, just any, any hopes. But she was in Florida, and she was actually in Kaleo. It was a student mobilization. It was a discipleship thing. And so I, had, I was back in uh, Tahlequah and had um, a couple of friends uh, that I knew from Southsaw, and they were a married couple, and they were just recently married. And so we went uh, canoeing one day. And so we got to talk, and we were talking about stuff and uh, about God. And, and so we were driving, and they brought up the idea of, you know, like, well, you know, if you, if you sin one time, you know, if you sin and you don't get a chance to ask forgiveness for it, you're, you just go to hell. And so I was driving the truck and you're around Tahlequah, around the lake and, and around the um, things. I said, so right, you know, it was just a big drop off right there. I was like, so are you saying right now, like we're, we've been really like this morning, God, I've had a quiet time, ask forgiveness, all these things. We've been trying to do a good job, all this stuff. And, and I have a blowout and our truck ramps off this cliff. And on the way down, I yell out like a cuss word, like, oh, whatever that, dang even. Like what, what if he's like, I'm really having a bad day. Like if you say, oh, dang, or, or a, a bad cuss word what happens? And they're like, they looked at each other like I was crazy and like, yeah, you go to hell. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, you know, like that's a scary God. That's a, that's a terrifying God to have. And so we laughed and talked and they, they still held on. They're like, no. And I think they even brought up this verse. Like it says, you got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I was like, oh man, that's just crazy. And so, um, uh, why did Paul just insert this? in there. Like after talking about the beauty of all Christ did, why is it up to us now? And, and you better not blow it like a last second, you know, deathbed thing. Uh, you're angry at the nurse as they're giving you, you know, some, some, some more uh, medicine as you're about to die. You know, you get angry at the nurse and like, oh, you didn't make it in. You messed up that last 10 seconds. Uh, and then, then he goes into the, just he, he, out of all the things, he cherry picks two things from that to, Hey, don't be grumbling and complaining. Like, how does that fit together? Well, for Paul, remember, this is all going back to what he started about. Remember, there was unity, a unity problem. There was some, some disunity going on. And so I have there, um, there are some people that, that, that had come in and brought some problems. So, so instead of interpreting this as, if you can live good enough, if you can live perfectly, you can save yourself. That's not why he's saying it all. And that's what people use this to teach that. Instead, it is since or because you've been saved and are in the kingdom of God, work out and live out that new identity. Um, so think through um, what you've heard in the past. Think through how you could communicate that to people. You could find out from people. Again, talking about sanctification, it may come out that they believe that they can lose their salvation. 
And you could just be like, hey, man, do you have some scriptures? They may use this one. You could show how this fits in. This is the big one that people use for that. Um, and the reason, reason I'm doing part of that, I know most of us may not have, even if you come from that kind of background, there's times when a lot of people struggle with security of believer. So this is a big verse that, that people use on that security of believer. And if you have doubts about that, I want to comfort you and let Scripture um, remind your mind and heart that it's what God has done in your place. It's not how bad you failed on these things. Um, so instead of a verse about losing your salvation, it's actually a verse expanding our understanding on the perseverance, what people have called through the years, the perseverance of the saints. That yes, you're, you're stumbling. Yes, you probably make mistakes, but you're going to persevere. You're going to go through. You're going to have some big failures. And, and what have you learned about this Jesus? What have you learned about him? His grace is sufficient. It's all on grace through faith. Um, so it's living out future realities. You are righteous. Man, I, you don't know what I was thinking this week because I didn't feel very righteous. You don't know what I did this week. Hey, your new identity says you're righteous. Would you want a God just slapping you like stupid, dummy, unrighteous again, unrighteous. Is that the kind of God or the God who says, hey, you're not tied to that sin. You don't have to do that anymore. You've been pronounced righteous. Act like you've been pronounced. Act like you actually walk in your new identity. Um, in this context, Paul's saying that you may uh, be, be blameless and innocent, that you would do this that as children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Live like that. Live out the salvation that has been granted to you. Live like that. Um, in 3.20, we're going to see later on where he says, our citizenship is in heaven. So live, live as if you are citizens of heaven while you're still here on earth. You know why? Because that's exactly what God is doing. That's exactly how it is. That's not like an idea of like, you know, hypothetical thought. No, that's it. You're citizens of heaven living in a dark world. Live that way. Live as citizens of heaven because that's what you are. And so um, that mystery of the paradox is beautiful. And, and Paul's cyclical thinking about this, he goes into, you know, all, based off of Christ's incarnation, his humiliation, his exaltation. After gazing at the, the Christ hymn, he's going, now how, after all of that, how would you, Philippians, remain in this disunity and remain divided when God has done all of this to reconcile you? If you understand the Christ hymn, if you understand what Christ has done, why would you allow there to be these uh, factions and disunity going on in the body? And so that's what he's playing into and bringing all this together. How would you say, yes, my entire life is wrapped up in the picture of reconciliation, yet you're still arguing and grumbling and being divisive? So work out your salvation with fear and trembling as a corporate body. Um, so this is not about earning salvation. It's not about works-based salvation. Paul didn't make a mistake here and go into works-based teaching. He didn't make a mistake here and say you can actually lose your salvation and then gain it back and lose your salvation and gain it back. So what do we do when we come across a verse uh, or just one sentence in the Bible or maybe a couple of sentences that are kind of blurry meaning that they seem to be contradictory over major doctrinal themes. So uh, a theme of salvation or your justification is by grace alone, right? What do you do when you come across one verse that seems to say something different? So for instance, the one today, work, you work out your salvation. Well, that seems to say that it's based upon my ability. Or um, ones that, that, that confuse with baptism, like be baptized for the remission of your sins, Man, there's, there's five to six of those that say something like that. Is that meaning that if I'm not baptized or if I, if I don't get baptized that I'm not saved? No, because our, our thousand verses says this about salvation. It's by grace alone. It's not about baptism. In fact, there's lots of teaching in the New Testament that it's not about your baptism. It's not about being a Jew. It's not going to the Jewish laws. It's, it's by grace alone. And so those confusing things bring much clarity. Uh, when, when you look at the whole of it, don't allow the blurry ones to cloud out the clear ones. Instead, you use the thousand clear scriptures to inter help you interpret the, the difficult scripture. So when you come across one of those scriptures that seems difficult, you can let the, the clear verses and clear doctrinal things address that. Then if you go to context, immediate context of where that verse is at, then you, if you step back a little bit and, and read the paragraph around that, and maybe two or three paragraphs like we're doing here, oh, Paul had started addressing the disunity there. And then he went into some of the things that are going on in that church and told them, here's how you should live. Um, and then he's going to go further into that. And then he inserts the Christ hymn and says, because of all of that, live this way. Um, 
So the fear and trembling there is not supposed to be about extreme punishment. Um, it's the correct heart and humility, the type of awe and respect that you'd have. Like, have that view of God. It's not about um, you just always living in fear of God, which a lot of people struggle with. It's just a, an awe and respect. Um, Paul's saying that we need to restore the unity in the local body, peace and harmony. Um, in verses, if you remember back in 127, and then in, in earlier on in chapter 2, in 127 he said, um, uh, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So a picture, all of you striving together, side by side, in one spirit, in unity. That's what you should be doing in 127. Then he goes on in 2.2 to say, um, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one body. So he's redundant about this, about the unity of the body. So beautiful pictures there. Um, and, and he goes, and, and right after this, in our context, right in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless, innocent. You are children of God. Act like children of God. So it's this um, emphasis on that. Um, now, why would Paul think that this is a fair expectation to give to them, for you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, because you go to 13. So it's so a, a, a blurry verse that makes it seem like, oh, this is talking about you, know, you earning your salvation. The very next sentence gives context. It's not about you earning your salvation. What's the very next sentence? So again, remember, let's back out from just one crazy uh, sentence to, oh, let's read a little bit more. For it is God who works in you to both will and work for his good pleasure. So to will means to have a desire for to want something. So it's saying God is putting it inside you, preceding you to, to want for you what he wants. He's wanting to give you his desires, to will, so for you to want to change your desires to match up with his. It's God who's working in you to, to give that to you, both to will and to work. And so the word work here, this verb, is to put one's capabilities into operation. So think about that. Think about the picture there. God is wanting to work in you to put his capabilities, not yours, his capabilities into your operation. That's an incredible thing. That should be so encouraging. Um, that's supernatural help. So we see here, we have supernatural God-provided resources. This is, should encourage us because we know we have available help directly from the Trinity is what this is saying. God is wanting to help you. You've got this situation, this struggle, this temptation going on. It's not just about you, you know, white-knuckling it and like, no, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then you fall back into that sin. You've got supernatural resources. Again, I just openly can, I'll just be driving, talking to God and just say, right now, I'm being tempted to think this thing, to have this attitude, to have a really poor attitude about this. You know what? That's how I feel. That's sin. You tell me that there's something else. You tell me if there's love for someone that, that just hurt me, that there's forgiveness for someone that just hurt me. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel like loving at all. But you tell me you've got ample supply, supernatural. Would you change my heart? So I confess that to you. I want to repent to where now I'm walking in love and forgiveness like you exampled, like you've given to me. Can I borrow that? And that's what Paul's saying here. To will and, and to work in you his own capabilities. It could be temptation of sin, like something that you know you're not supposed to do. I know I'm not even supposed to go. To, and right now, God, I am being tempted so strong. To, I'm wanting this so bad. I'm uh, just desiring this so bad. I know that's wrong. Would you help me right now? Would you give me strength that I don't have? Because I don't even want to obey right now. Would you help me? That's sanctification. Based off of what? The reality that when he died on the cross and rose from the grave, Sin no longer has power on you. Used to, you were. You were, you were. you were tied to sin. You were a slave to sin. That's all been freed. Um, and so that's the beauty of the sanctification. We have supernatural resources. And then also, God working in us, it increases gospel opportunities. It doesn't lessen them. Um, if you remember in um, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this beautiful conclusion. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then here's this part in verse 10, talking about this onward work that he has. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that's that, that created in Christ Jesus saying, when you were saved, 
When, when, when 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 2.20 happen, I'm, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ and now I live for Christ. When you were saved, you were recreated is a better interpretation of that. Um, that you were recreated for good works in Christ. Recreated in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. He knows every single day. He's got people intersecting with your life. He's got situations intersecting with your life this week, this month, this year, that he's got a plan for you to be there, for you to be his ambassador in Christ, for you to live out as light in darkness, to to, to share the gospel with people, to be in their life, to love them, to care for them. And he says that we should walk in them. So God is um, working in us, and and the gospel increases our opportunities. So that's what Paul's sharing here. Um, and so that's all under that idea, that first idea there. Um, and then the second thing there, lights in a dark and dangerous world. Look in verses 14 there. Do all things without grumbling. Again, he's not just picking, cherry-picking two things, grumbling and disputing. He's addressing what had been going on in this body, that there had been this disunity. Um, not gr- and, and the two, he gives it in two different things. He, he gives a negative, and then he gives a positive. So he says, first of all, don't be grumbling and arguing. On the negative side, stop those things, mortify those things. Remember we talked about mortification, killing those things? On the, the, the living, the vivification part, um, by the word of, of life, um, by, that you be blameless children of God without blemish, holding to, living out God's word of life. So Paul's saying the church of Christ, the corporate body, should stand out as people of God in the midst of a crooked and evil generation. Um, the Church of Christ's corporate body should shine as lights in a dark world. And remember, the word blameless there, he says, you know, being blameless and innocent. Blameless does not mean without accusation. All the disciples and Jesus had lots of accusations. It means that they're going to say some bad stuff about you. You take a biblical stance, people are going to, if you're going to do that on social media, you're going to get torn apart. They're going to say, I can't believe you're supposed to be a Christian, and he's saying this, he's saying this, he's saying this. And you just took some truth, but their accusations don't stick. When truth comes out, um, accusations don't stick that you were purposely in sin or in sin. And that's what the second word means. Uh, it uses uh, innocent in the ESV. Harmless is a better word. And so the word, the word there for um, innocent means without evil intent. You, you're not doing purposeful evil and saying that's okay. That they should be, after, after some time, people will go, you know what? People were saying that he was doing something wrong. He was actually just standing for Christ. He was actually just telling someone truth, and they were taking shots. So you're not without accusation, and you're not doing purposeful sin. And so this word grumbling here, he says, uh, you shouldn't be grumbling and disputing. The word grumbling here refers to whispering complaints, talking in secret, in secret against someone or inside the church specifically what he's talking about. On the, um, the disputing or arguing, arguing. It means quarreling and debating in ways that lead to division and breaking down the unity that God has su- supplied the church. Um, and so on both of those, I am a world class, I am top 10 in the world complainer. I complain about like situations that happen in life. I, I am, my family, I, like it just runs in our blood. And so I'm not saying that as, oh, I just get away with it and I'm saved. I am daily acknowledging that. There's times, I don't know why, I think it's after I've been here and seen everything that's so nice and I'll, I'll drive through here and see all that's broken and then I'll, I'll, my heart, I get up to this stop sign right up here and I just pull up beside the next you know, Tundra truck or something. I'm like, I hate this guy. Why does God love him so much more than he loves me? And you know, I've got more lights dinging on my uh, dash and, and, and I, hey God, that's just, that's just wrong. I mean, I don't even know where that person is, but like you love me incredibly. Whether I'm walking or whether I'm going through whatever. And so it's easy to complain. This is not specifically talking about just your own individual complaint. This is talking about inside the corporate body. Um, Jamie and I, um, because we usually, I've, had, I've coached a lot. So, and then Jamie has taken different positions where she's in like in a leadership role. Um, teachers, you might be surprised with this, but people, um, 25 kids in a class, some of those parents have certain expectations for their kids. I don't know if you knew that or not, but people kind of think this. Some people even think their snowflake does no wrong and that when they come home with a 97, that's your fault or whatever. And so when, what's sad and difficult is when you find out, and so she's been brought into some things in the last couple of years and the last year where you'll find out that there's even this, this, this text thread that you're not a part of. And it's all critical. And, and this is not necessarily even about her, but it's like about someone else 
It's another mom who has stepped up and trying to help coach some girls on something. And it's a whole text thread of, you know, eight, ten people. And it's just like, she's this, she's that. She... And so Jamie just has to awkwardly, like, when she, they finally contact her, and she's like, does she know that y'all have all these complaints? And you have all this... Have you considered Matthew 18? Did the first person go to her and say, hey, I noticed this. And, and that's after two or three actions. And sometimes it's, it's what we do is we see some behavior or, or even something that fails or doesn't work right. And we, we take that action and we move to a heart issue. Did you see that that woman didn't do this? Well, you know, with that, you know, you know this about her and you know this, therefore she must have this kind of heart. And now I got a text thread of eight or 10 parents. Um, I don't know how uh, coach's wife, Charlene, Jamie will be sitting there in the game sometimes and you know, you're, you're, there's a plan and there's, there's education and there's a very, uh, uh, very qualified um, uh, path to show that this works. But in the middle of a game, when things are going different ways, you'll have dad screaming stuff. You're like, do this. You got to run it. You get all these things. Jamie's just like, oh my gosh, I don't know how his wife takes it. Like, and she's like, you just got to have tough skin and you just got to pray a lot. And like coaching is the easiest thing. Like, why did you throw that? Well, hey, the guy was open. He's 15, first of all. He's 15 and he dropped the ball running as fast as he can. That's going to happen, you know? And so it happens to guys making 40 million a year. And that's why God did not let me be a coach because day one, I would have been in prison for uh, having to uh, surgically remove my foot from someplace in this guy's body as a 20 year old kid, you know, uh, drops a ball or whatever. And so in that, and now we got a text thread, eight parents. And guys, that was happening when I, sometimes I was coaching. And it, it's these people who smile at you and shake your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this because none of us would step up and cover it. Thank you for doing this step up because no one will cover it. And then you're doing it for nothing for free. And, 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 but now you find out like you know, three months later, the people smiling at you had a whole text thread going. And Paul's going, that's going on in the church. He's going, that's going on inside here. And we know, and we've been a part of it that happens. And sometimes you're the person that's trying to hold on. You're not starting all the stuff. And so just that idea, it, it destroys, it destroys the heart of unity. Um, so it happens very easily. Um, it's so destructive. It usually takes a couple of observable actions and then attaches this mountain of accusations. Hey, did you, did you notice this? Yeah, I noticed that. Did you notice this also? Did you notice it? And so just some questioning. Um, now I, I will say in the first couple of years, as soldiers, sometimes we would have people that would come for a little bit and they would, they're, they're, they're expecting us to operate like we're a 30-year-old church with a, a, a $10 million uh, budget, you know? And, and I would hear of guys going like, man, I just kind of pulled them aside and said, hey, man, just, just have you thought through your experience? So Matthew 18, just pull aside, talking to guys, hey, man, yeah, you're probably evaluating us compared to this place, you know, or, or your past experiences, you understand we're, you're, you're 365 days in. You understand that most of these don't even work out. You, you know that, how, that this is not an easy thing. So why don't you just get in and start lifting like the rest of us? And so that's a beautiful picture of let, let's, let's fight for unity here. Let's not try to just, there's, there's all kinds of, hey, our, our, our worship leader was sick today. We did a video. Uh, you're, be thankful that I didn't just go to, hey, let's do video sermons or video worship and let's do AI sermons, which some people are trying those things, you know? No, no, we're going to be faithful to what we can. And so um, be careful. Um, our, our church has been protected from some of that through some different things that have happened. And so we want to fight for that. God, God wants to do that. And that, that's about you guys. Again, I'm not a great encourager. But are we being that type of light? Paul had addressed this. There were the, the Judaizers that had been in the group, the Judaizers. And what were they saying? Hey, it's nice that you got saved in Jesus, but you got to also get circumcised, all you men. You also have to start adding all the Jewish feasts all the Jewish uh, laws from the Old Testament, you got to start living that out. And I mean, these Romans were like, I, I just want to follow Jesus. And, and these, these leadership guys are telling me that we've got to follow all that. So Paul's going, no, and that's causing disunity. And then there was these, uh, there's Euodia and Syntyche. Um, there were some arguments and disruptive disagreements that have continued to go on to the point that it was even outside the church. People knew about it outside. And so we're going to see that in chapter four. He's going to address that. Um, Philippians three, he says, look out, Verses two through three, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So that's talking about some things that they were doing about circumcision. For, for we are the circumcision, we are the true circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. We put new, no confidence in the flesh. So it's not what you're doing. 
So he wouldn't be saying, work out your salvation by your works, and then at the end, later on in the part, letter, say, it's not by what we're doing. So you've got to understand. Philippians 3.9, he says, be, and, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so he is also addressing not only some of the um, his situations with Euodia and Syntyche, and the Judaizers, but also there's some self-righteous legalism going on that he's going, this is not, this is not, it's all by faith and by, by grace. It's not by works. If there's anyone who could boast, it would be me. And then in Philippians 4, he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So there's this uh, argument that's been going on. So we're supposed to be living as light, supposed to be living um, by grace and depending on that type of grace. And then Paul ends this little section, and, and you could really, next week we'll cover this section. This last section is a lot about just this interpersonal relationships with them, and Paul kind of brings up this, um, and he's, he, this, this encouraging entrance into this about sacrificial joy. And Paul says, so if you're living that way, when it comes down to the day of the Lord, when we all face Christ, I'm going to be rewarded because of you guys, because of your faith. And he's not doing it like, so, so, hey, so I can get gold stars, y'all live better. He's not doing that. He's going... It's the best thing for your soul. It leads to the glory of God, and it's the best thing for my soul. Do you see the beauty? So remember, you start with the paradox thing. Hey, you live, or you work out your salvation, or is it God is working in you? When you begin to see the picture of those things come together, hey, it's the greatest thing for your soul. It's the greatest thing for my soul. It brings others that are lost in darkness into eternity with us and leads to the glory of God. So two things that seem like they can't be simultaneously true end up being this beautiful, beautiful picture. And he says, um, I want to be, I wonder that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Um, he wants them to battle through those oppositions and sufferings and live as lights in darkness by holding fast to the word of truth. And that's just God's word there. Um, and he says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you all should be glad and rejoice with me. You're going through some difficulties, Philippian church. There's things going on in the world around you. There's, there's changes going on. There's difficulties with the government that's going on. There's difficult, you're, you're, you're kind of a poorer situation than, than uh, the surrounding people around you. You're, you've got the, the political situations with Rome. Also, you're going through some suffering. Some people are opposing you and even um, uh, causing harm to some of you. I'm going through all that also. And he's saying, we can still find joy, and we can still find hap uh, happiness and joy, and be glad in that. And so is that not a great message for us in 2023? Is that not what we would want people to hear? Um, it's trendy right now just to argue, to fight, to destroy, to hate. It's trendy right now. It's an open, wide path to just jump in the middle of that. Politically, socially, nationally, um, ethnically, and religiously. It's trendy. He's going, hey, that's all dark. All that stuff that's going on, economically, politically, religiously, ethnically. Don't, don't get involved with the world they are playing with that. You be united in love. You would be lights in the middle of a dark world shining Christ's love and grace forward if you'd live this way. And that would be of much benefit to, to me and brings up sacrificial joy. So God is going to allow us to go through things personally, corporately, and as Christians in a, in a, in a government, under a nation, that, that may change and things may be changing drastically. We need to be praying for um, all those in, in, in Israel, all those um, and, uh, and the Palestinians that are over there. You have to remember this also, that, that they're, so it's, it's, so all Hamas, all of Hamas are under what? Palestinians, right? All Hamas are under the, 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 the thing of Palestinians. Are there Palestinians who are just like you and me that are working and loving their children? And they're, they're, they're following a, a, a fake God, Islam. All Palestinians are not Hamas, though. So there are people, just like all you Ukrainians, there, there are people that are searching for peace and doing those things. So we need to pray for um, the true peace, for Jesus to be found by Palestinians, even maybe some extremists, just like we would pray that for um, back in 9-11 when that was going on with us. That's what this feels like for them. We need to pray for Israel. So, but but we, here's what's happening even religiously. I hear some pastors go, we need to pray for Israel because America is tied to Israel. That's more of a political and American thing because 
Israel, most of them are not saved. We need to be praying for Jews in Israel that come to the true peace in Christ. We need to pray for uh, Palestinians under Islam to come to true peace in Christ. We need to pray for Hamas to be taken out and to be and that to be safely done. But we need to pray for their souls. That there there are some extremists that were a part of some of those um, um, terrorist uh, groups that that became believers in crazy circumstances. That can happen. God can do that. Paul, the guy writing this letter, guess what he was? He was a powerful guy going in and killing Christians in the name of his God from Judaism, and God radically saved him. And that's what's going on. So we can pay, pray for the peace that, that, that surpasses all of this, not just a, 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 a fake calm peace, but, but the true salvation peace for um, all those who worship a false god under Islam and all those who worship a false god under Judaism, monotheism, both cases. And so in that, we can shine as lights. We don't get caught up in what, what the, the political and sometimes even the churchy world is throwing out there on social media. To hate this one, and, and we love this one, they're Israel. They're not our brothers in Christ. They're Jews. We need to pray for their salvation in Christ. And we need to pray for these Muslim salvation in Christ. And, and that's what the Bible says. That's not American, that's biblical. Um, and that's not making a stance on, oh, are you pro-Palestinian? I know that there was an immediate thing. Not at all. This is about souls of men. That's bigger than, than just political and ethnicity. We're praying for the souls of men. And we've got to be uh, sharing that with people. And we can be lights in a dark, dark world. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for um, the beauty of Paul's message. A guy sitting in prison with no good surroundings, nothing gratifying at all. And yet he says, I'm glad, I rejoice. I'm content in all situations. And God, none of us would probably be very content in that situation. And yet you're using him for your glory and for the true gospel going forth, for uh, an exalting of Christ and a proclamation of Christ. And so God, in this, this situation that uh, not only just, this is not just our own American country, how this will affect us, how will this affect our economy, how this affect our life, for, for mankind, your creation as a whole, Lord, would you allow us to have love more for Christ and for one another than we have just love for patriotism or love for um, one region or one country more than others? because of government standings, would you allow us to have the eyes and the heart of Christ, that people need you, that, that souls need Christ, whether Muslim, whether Hindu, whether um, Jews, they need Christ. And so would you allow us to be lights in the middle of a time when our own economy's bad, our own politics are bad, there's wars going on all the time. God, I pray with John in, in Revelation that you would come and come quickly. I know that everyone agrees about these aspects of peace in the Middle East, and this has come up two or three times in the last hundred years. But God, we pray that you would allow there to be true salvation as these are the end times, as these are the end days. Would you allow there to be true salvation coming um, to many, many souls, God? And we know that, that under your sovereignty, under your goodness even, you said, you told us, Jesus, that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all kinds of natural disasters, but we should be lights in the darkness. We, we can't fall into those, those trendy voices, follow those trendy voices that you allow us to have, be a people of love and peace and unity, just focused on exalting Christ and letting the gospel go forth. Would you empower us and enable us to do that and grow us in that in this time? with the people around us. In your name we pray, amen.